0: you're listening to be there do that the podcast featuring everyday stories about food race and social impact in africa Jethro Lowe, a Cape Town-born performance poet, considers himself a word bomber. He uses the power of his words to bring back to life the discontinued heritage within his culture and in reflection of the Koi San people. Ian Harris is a provocateur, a cultural critic, mover and shaker, and creative director at Coffee Beans Roots, a tourism company he and poet Jethro Lowe founded in 2008, based in Cape Town. Here in Cape Town, Ian and I sat in the sun on the stoop at the Akaya Lodge and Conference Center, a Kenyan-owned and operated business, while enjoying a cup of coffee and chatting about all things culturally related to tourism and its social impact.
1: In the mythology of culture, I I have a mother who has a, a Scottish heritage, and actually my dad is from that neck of the woods as well, he's from Birmingham. And he came to Zambia when he was 16. The way my dad tells it is that his parents framed it as a health issue because my dad was really bronchial and going to Africa and the climate would be better for his health. My dad says that really this was a front for construction job opportunities within the colonial regime. Um, And then from Zambia to South Africa um, later. So both of them are actually kind of first generation South Africans. And that would make me, I suppose, second. That's always been a really interesting thing for me. Not always. I think at the point at which I started to understand historical global complexities and the micro-complexities of place and what that particular heritage and lineage meant. So both of my parents came here during... Well, the beginning and when apartheid was at its highest. And I think part of my... Kind of getting to grips with adulthood early adulthood was not just you know coming out of the teen years and all of the things that come with the biology but the politics of everything in my whole life up to this point is i'm seeing in a whole new light in the realization of what this family heritage means so i mean for me that the kind of the, the lineage or the, the mythology of lineage of where i come from um, is, is present And I'm aware of it and what it means. And I think that kind of underpins a lot of what I do and a lot of the reason for what I do. And being aware of... I mean, you've got to be be very self-critical, especially if you look like me and come from the places that I've come from.
0: Mm, Sitting here drinking our Kenyan coffee, I was reminded how while at the bottom of Africa, my being an African-American, Ian's being a Scottish South African... Actually, our paths crossed in Scotland many generations before now. There's a village of Busby along the River Tay. So here we sit on a third continent, Mm. (laughs) both of us Africans here. I'm an African by choice, you're an African by birth, and we Mm. look completely opposite. Mm. So this melding of culture and the opportunity of cross-cultural lineages, because also now you've got children, I've got children, my children were born here, your children are born here, so they're Mm. both, all of them, Africans, Mm. Um, is a a striking uh, reflection of the times and also the opportunities that are here. Because our parents, our lineage, our ancestry saw something that we didn't know was coming and Mm. then we we took it on and said, Mm. okay, I'll be a part of it.
1: Mm. And there's a sense in which we are here now, however we got here and whatever were the motivations of the people that brought us here is one thing. We're here. And how do we, what do we do with this? We um, make honey. We make honey. <laughs> we make honey. And we try and, you know, we try and protect the resources that allow us to make honey. Exactly. Not just for our honey, but for everybody's, hopefully.
0: Exactly. So, what does that have to do with Jethro Lowe, coffee beans, and performance poetry? As
2: the what for food, the mainland and
1: so at the outset of Coffee Beans, I worked with Jethro, the poet, and he was, he was really critical in, in, in a, lot of the, a lot of the kind of the philosophical approach and my own kind of understanding and insights thanks to his um, generosity of sharing his insights. So there's, there's a universality about it. There's a common humanity to it. There's the fact that it was this item that was traded in the same way that slaves were and other commodities were. So there's this commercial um, twist to it. Um, and then I think the, the, the most important in a sense is that the, the cultural mythology of coffee is that when you get together and you share a coffee, you share a story. And stories is at the heart of everything that we do. So that
0: kicked it off for us, and we were on a wild ride to discuss social impact and tourism in an African context. Ian had quite a few interesting ideas to share about how tourism can not only create impact, but can shift consciousness while creating
1: community along the way. So I would, my first point of call is that we're a storytelling company. You know, the, the experiences that we create are designed to, to create these kind of, post-colonial, post-apartheid post-self-shifts not always tangible because these are realizations that people have down the line but that's kind of what we seek to achieve but there's another component and for me this is the biggest takeaway and what a lot of our work is about now is we can do that and we can have a massive impact across multiple territories and I think you know, we, we do have a big impact and as we roll out into however many cities we get into the impact is really large but let's look at the story of the structure of the business if I look at Uber and Airbnb and Google. These are all businesses that position themselves as disruptors, but they are based on the Model T Ford business idea. There's nothing disruptive in their their organizational structures. It's still early adopter investors who take away the largest piece of the pie. They're very avaricious. Um, they, They hold all of those typical kind of sensibilities of early capitalism. And when I look at what we do, we could end up being exactly the same. I sell my shares in the business. I walk out another white dude in Africa who walks away with whatever his pot was for this business off the back of stories of people on the continent. And there's a big mismatch between that potential outcome and what we say we do and the, the, and the reality of what we do. And so a lot of my time is thinking about structure and think, well, how, if, my, if I don't want that to be my legacy, and especially given what I said about my family line, what do we need to do? How, what is the story of Coffee Beans post-me?
0: Okay, so obviously there's a lot to unpack here. Storytelling, cultural tour operating, consciousness shifting. What exactly are they up to at Coffee Beans Roots?
1: We are looking to create experiences that create the capacity or the opportunity for shifts in ways of seeing things for both, for both sides of that equation. And coffee kind of encapsulates that nicely when you start to interrogate it. Most tour companies are called after their proprietor. But there's not really much in that name, and we really did want a lean-in name. I think in the same way that probably Apple Computing at the beginning got lots of requests for Granny Smith. We get lots of requests for, you know, tons of coffee beans. But I think the longer you're in the game, the the more the kind of the name starts to stand on its own and people start to understand, oh, coffee beans, that travel company that does these interesting things. Oh, The other thing is, in terms of what we seek to address is that the African tourism industry, its roots are in destruction. So I am glad to see that there is more of a push now to understand the the inclusive ecosystems. But basically, tourism on the continent has been about land tenure and, and keeping it exclusive. And that, of course, has downplayed human capital. And especially black human capital on the continent has been completely pushed to the side and marginalized. And if you even still continue to look at pictures of tourism on the continent, what you're going to see, some sort of game lodge, white patrons, and black people in service. And I mean, come on. What we're doing is at the very, very, very beginning. And look at the possibilities. Millions of people, millions of stories. If Paris is the most visited city on the continent and people are going there for culture, food, art, history, I mean, what about, you know, Accra, Lagos, Nairobi, Kigali, Addis Ababa, surely at some point these places, the, 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 the precedent is set. Yeah. So it's inevitable, they, all of these cities are going to be explored for their cultural, creative, history, art value. So for me, the, 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 the story that is so compelling is twofold. It's that structural thing that I've spoken about, and then it's that kind of that vision thing of... Can we create a pan-African organization that speaks to historical legacies from a structural point of view, but also addresses those legacies from a content and service provider point of view? Um, We've got this huge palette to work with. And that that kind of keeps me excited because the possibilities there are are really large. And the, the possibilities for a wealth distribution that is the absolute antithesis of the way that tourism has worked is also really interesting. So I'm interested, yeah, in the content. And a lot of my work is developing experiences, like working with Nomchle on the Wine Shack experience. We're not creating a project with Nomchle because we think there's a huge commercial opportunity there. I believe there is a commercial opportunity there. But we're doing it because those are the stories that must out. We have to tell those stories.
0: Nomchle Zondani is the proprietor and founder of Wine Shack, A Longa Township Community Based Wine Distribution and Experiences Company based in South Africa.
2: Uh, My name is Nomple N-O-M H L E and surname is Zondani Z-O-N-D-A-N-I. I Um, I used to I also have another name, Patricia. (laughs) Patricia! (laughs) Uh, But I don't I don't like to use it. That doesn't sound like a nickname. uh, Um Pre 1994, you know. So you know, after 1994, democracy was like. Now we can use our you know indigenous names, and so I started with Nongse. Sort of like a
0: reappropriation of of, of land names. And names.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> we start with the names, then we're gonna come for the land, you know. Then we're gonna come for the windings, you know. We're taking it things very slowly.
1: <laughs> I love that. The South Africans should not pay for land the lands will belong to them.
0: Without getting into too much political nuance, let me just tell you, Julius Malema founded a political party based on far-left principles called the Economic Freedom Fighters, the EFF. A political activist and now a member of a seat in parliament, Julius has a lot at stake in the economy and its delivery of land rights to the South African people.
1: There shouldn't be an idling land. Majority of the farmers who are being referred to as farmers who are producing food for us, they don't even use the whole farm.
0: Mm, And as South African public opinion seems to grow, Nongkle and Ian have more things in common with Julius Malema than they would probably like to admit. So for years,
1: I've been trying to find really interesting wine experiences for years and it's been very depressing especially since I moved to that part of the world because the winelands is one of the great illusions it's a bullshit from an agricultural point of view one crop across vast tracts of the most incredible land no food security all for export what's meant to be a beautiful this is not beautiful I, I no longer find it beautiful because I know that it's toxic so wine is kind of you know is uh, is holds some of the challenges that i think we face within everything
0: and to me what is such a beautiful offering is she's got no vines growing there next to the wine shack mm. however it is prolifically <clears throat> abundant in terms of black owned vintages that are modern that are actually not only being sold and branded by black south africans but also winemakers mm. sommeliers It's a very multi-layered story. So tell me about that journey. Well,
2: um, it's a journey that actually um, took about seven, seven years. Well, meeting friends, you know, having lunch and wine, you know, and then going to lunch and wine, you know, and dinner and wine. And and I thought, how do I get into wine? Because I love wine. And um, and I saw a gap, you know, in the market. And uh, a friend introduced me to my mentors and said, "Look, this lady wants to get into the wine industry. She wants to open her own wine boutique in the township. It's never been done. It's never going to be done. Uh, you're never going to have a wine boutique in, in a township. I mean, township people don't drink, you know, proper wine. Uh, they only know cheap wine." And I said, no, I will do it. Um, Something that is going to be beneficial and uh, something that is actually going to work for Black Home Brands. Something that is going to particularly concentrate on us black people.
1: So it's taken us a long time, but we finally kind of hit on some models for for really interesting different experiences in the winelands. But I've always been thinking, you know, how do we share the stories of black winemakers? And how do we use those stories to also challenge a lot of the narratives around wine? And the
0: expectation of what it is to be in a shack-dwelling
1: environment. And I think, I mean, me and and Nomple have an ongoing discussion around this. You know, the role of booze in subjugating people is huge. So I'm very aware when we're doing wine and we're doing it in Langa, (laughs) that we're dealing with a very exclusive product made by black folk, um, and so, I mean, I also, I also like that nuance, because this is not straightforward, this is right, this is wrong. There's lots of complexity.
0: Let's take a moment for a little South African winelands history factoid. It comes from the colonial period in the late 1600s, when Governor Simon Fondestel of the Dutch East India Company stole some farmland, named it Constantia, and it turns out that was pretty amazing terroir for what then became South Africa's best known and globally exported wine, vin de Constance. Sweet wine,
1: sour grapes left behind, deep history. And the complexity for me is where the real interest lies.
2: It's a lot of education. I mean, I I still also have to learn. And also, it's, it's about changing the, the perception. Um, the, the industry needs to change. Uh, you can no longer say, you know, the best grapes come from Constantia or wherever. Best grapes can also come from Langa, where I'm coming from, you know. And um, if you look at the Cape Flats in general, uh, from before the apartheid era, I mean, that land, there used to be farmers that were living there. That land is fertile.
1: And Tourism avoids it because it doesn't know how to talk to complexity. But its nuance and complexity is, those are the resources we deal with. And so with Nomple, what for me is really interesting is, one, we can do a wine experience in a township. And that completely changes the way that people think about township. And that's really important. Two, these are all black-owned brands, and particularly black women. So the stories of women who are black, In a sector that's traditionally white, male and European heritage, sure, this is great. And so it's a completely different framing of wine and the stories of wine, and that for me is exciting. It's really from here. It's really from what comes from our soil and our indigenous languages.
2: I actually, you know, when I started with the wine shack, I literally went to each and every producer. And I said, this is what I'm starting. Um, I don't have a lot of money. I'm using money out of my pocket, Um, I need to start, you know, getting black home brands into the town and to get people to really know about what most of us are doing and because we find ourselves at the background of the big boys and the big girls in the industry. And we found that a lot of people that come to the townships are tourists. And local don't, locals don't come to the townships, because townships have been classified as um, bad, you know, there's violence, so it's a no-go area. I mean, like, it's almost 20 years after democracy. Certain things have changed. Crime is everywhere. You can be marked here right in the middle of the city centre in this big nice establishment and then you get to the townships, you come in and you go and nothing happens. So the safari is to actually you know, get people to sit around in a nice homely environment, enjoy some wine, have some local uh, cheese and yama and a nice conversation over the brands that you know, um, the people are tasting and be able to go home and say, you know what, I was in a township and I sat outside in a normal house on a porch and you could see the locals and we had wine and you know and then they go home and it's like we didn't get marked <laughs> we didn't lose our wallets and, and here So now the business is sustaining the house is sustaining those that are not working because if you're not working there's a business that i'm starting so get your hands on there, start working do something don't sit because if I'm going to have to go and take somebody outside,
0: then I'm going to have to take that money and give it outside. I love that because here again it looks at how social impact and mm-hmm. social enterprise doesn't have to be institutional. Yes. We can do this within our communities, within exactly. our families, exactly. using our own assets. And Ian wanted to add...
1: Like I think what's missing a lot of the time is, is agency. Like Tourism genuinely doesn't believe that Africans have agency. And that's why there's such a big focus on philanthropy. And the philanthropy is often a cover for much more nefarious things, whether it's NGOs working in townships as fronts for, for commercial entities or, or tourism saying, oh no, you know, a percentage of our ticket price goes to building a school. And I think there's, there's big problems there because what it does is rather than that money being used to lobby government to fulfill its mandate, it gets used to fulfill the optical desires of the people who've got the capital. But I think what all of that kind of doesn't consider is that people have agency. They don't necessarily need anybody to come and give. We don't. And there's plenty of good examples of people who, you know, we need, we need enabling environments and collaborative partners and partners who want to partner not because they think that they can help or that they are saviors, or any of that nonsense, but who can help because we understand collectively that our paths are intertwined. The networking,
0: the hive The hive
1: depends on each of us fulfilling a particular role. And those roles, we also need to humble ourselves, you know, and not be experts.
0: And there it was, my call to cue the bees. Yes, you
2: know, bees are everywhere, um... They are in the township and there is also a cultural um, connotation to bees as well. Um, That is if your your family is coming from a certain clan, uh, you know, your ancestors sometimes can come in the form of the bee. So when you see a bee, you know, you don't kill it. We have to be careful, it's a bee after all. Um, so yes, there are there are bees in the townships, and um, we have to preserve because they
0: are ancestors. So yeah, I love that also because if we think about that on the continuum, the ancestors provide for us, the bees provide Why for, for us, us. So of course they come back as bees. As bees, you see, it, it actually makes sense that way. So I love that. I love the hive mind <laughs> behind that. Thank you. Cheers, cheers, to, cheers to that. that. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Prosperity Food Company, makers of Trust Rusks and Be Grateful Ice Teas, along with other fantastic indigenously African snacks. Come catch a buzz with me bi-monthly here and wherever you find your other favorite podcasts. Supported by The American Corner in Cape Town, sound editing for this episode was done by Daniel Weber with sound design by Melanie Robertson at Origin Audio. Thanks for listening.